guys. Welcome back to the Forking Wellness Podcast. My name is Barry Strickoff, Registered Dietitian. And I'm Sophie Bertrand, Registered Nutritionist, and we are the authors of the Forking Wellness book and obviously the Forking Wellness Podcast. Each week we sit down and we discuss all things health and wellness from debunking diet myths to nutrition information, lifestyle factors, etc. Stick with us while we try and work out what the Fork Wellness really is. I don't even know what we do. This week, we are sponsored by Tree of Life, which is an amazing company aimed at making health easy by providing you and your family a wide range of delicious whole foods. They cater to all sorts of diets. So if you're vegan or gluten-free or dairy-free for whatever reason, they have so many different options, including pastas, cooking sauces, different snacking options, chocolates, etc. They sent us an amazing package. Um, I'm really excited to try their Manuka honey as well as restocking up on my chia seeds. I'm really loving their oat milk. They do different types of oat milk as well. So one is really foamable for if you're making your coffees or matcha lattes and um the other one is enriched with extra calcium and vitamin d and b vitamins so again if you're vegan it's a really good plant drink alternative they also offer a wide range of soil association certified organic products for the health of your family and the planet one of their goals is to make health easy and that includes the health of our planet and the communities they work with around the world. Many of their foods are sourced through fair share partnerships and they are on a mission to find improved ways to package the products that are sustainable for the environment. If you guys want to try out the delicious products from Tree of Life, head to their website www.treeoflifefoods.co.uk, sign up to their newsletter and get 20% off your next order. Hi, guys. Welcome back to this week's episode of the Forking Wellness Podcast. I am so excited for this episode. I think literally since we've started the podcast, we've said that we wanted an episode on sleep. So we are so excited to welcome sleep scientist Sophie Bodstock. Hi, Sophie. Hi. We are thrilled. I think that we talk about sleep on every single episode. Yeah, we always refer to to it. Have yet to do a whole episode dedicated on sleep health, sleep hygiene, the importance of health. But please like introduce yourself to everyone, how you got started in this field. Thank you very much. And, and I guess like many people who are interested in sleep, I fell into it a little bit by accident. I was actually doing research looking at stress and well-being. Mm. And uh, I helped a group of people to try and reduce stress using mindfulness meditation, uh, as it happens using an app called Headspace, which has become much more popular. And while I was doing that research, lots of people came back and anecdotally reported that they didn't know if they were really meditating properly, but they were sleeping better. And when I looked at the data, it seemed to be that definitely those people who improved their sleep were also reducing their stress levels seeing more positive emotions which was what I was really interested in and that really got me hooked I I hadn't anticipated that I would sort of specialize in sleep but after that I just realized that sleep is one of these unsung heroes of health Mm. and uh, so I I I now do more sleep evangelism, I guess, than sleep science in that lots of other people are creating fantastic science but not a lot of people necessarily know about it. So I'm just trying to raise awareness really of, of the, the great knowledge that we have. Amazing. Yeah. And I salute you because I mean, 
I try and spread these messages to my family having only done research myself but it's so so there's so much like you know incredible research supporting something that may to others sound quite boring um but I'm yes I'm just fascinated so I can't wait to get into the conversation yes and before we get into it I'm going to put you on the spot a bit because we were um messaging on Instagram and um, I wanted to follow up with you and you you came back to me in a message and you were like I'm so sorry it's taken me so long to get back to you I was working on a secret government mission or or I was working on a secret government you know study or sleep thing and I was just like that's actually the coolest DM I've ever gotten in the world (laughs) (laughs) sorry sorry partially secret I do do some work with the military I'm very lucky I have some amazing clients I've uh, this year I've done a lot of work with the police um uh, there's a lot of shift workers there mm. they've been hugely appreciative of just learning a little bit of science of how to cope with that but I think also in the military where you're working in environments where it's not always possible to have an unbroken night's sleep there's also lots of science about how to cope better with that and still maintain sort of high levels of performance so yeah lots of different wow. well I'd love to grill you then at the end maybe um because I'm pregnant at the moment and my biggest fear honestly it's like a fear of mine is that I'm not going to be getting my eight hours sleep because I am so regimented I go I'm asleep by 10 I naturally wake up at six um so I feel like I've really nailed it over the years and I'm like oh my god <laughs> how am I going to cope and what am I, what's my system okay. going to be like <laughs> definitely talk about that and uh, yes that will change uh, and you will adapt um, <laughs> as have millions of people before so yeah don't worry fabulous okay cool let's get um let's just get into it then so how much sleep should we be getting every night I mean what, what does the science tell us so I love that question, this sort of question of should, that there mm. is a specific amount that we ought to get. And a lot of people can get quite anxious when they don't get that amount. And Not me. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, and the truth is that asking how much sleep you need is a bit like asking how much food you need to eat. You Interesting. Know, it, depends. it depends on your genetics, it depends on your age and your hormones and how much activity you've done that day and also how well you slept in the weeks leading up to today. So it's not just a sort of one-off thing, but as a general guideline, uh, the expert consensus is that most adults need between seven and nine hours sleep each night to function at their best. But of course, there's lots of natural variations. So although most people will fall into that seven to nine hour window, there will be a small minority who need a little bit more and some who might actually function quite well on less. Mm-hmm. So a good rule of thumb to see, ask yourself if you're getting enough sleep, ask yourself these questions. So do you rely on an alarm clock to wake up each day? Do you require caffeine or sugar to keep you going? Uh, do you struggle to keep your eyes open on long Zoom calls? Uh, do you sleep in at the weekend to catch up? And if you answered yes to more than one of those, then it probably is worth experimenting with trying to get, you know, an extra 15 minutes of sleep each night and see over the course of a week whether that actually makes a difference to how you feel. But really, you are the best judge of how much sleep you need and I know you guys have spoken quite a lot about intuitive eating and I guess if people take something away from this conversation that there's an aspect of intuitive sleeping too you know if you can go to bed when you feel sleepy and wake up naturally that suggests that you know your your internal rhythms are in sync 
I love that so much. And while you were speaking, I was just like trying to apply everything that you were saying to myself. Um, and something I know it's a bit of a tangent, but I have super different sleep patterns to my partner. Um, I'm early to bed, early to rise. If it was up to me, I'd be in bed at by nine. Um, when I was younger, I no one ever wanted to have sleepovers with me because I was the kid who went <laughs> to sleep so early. Um, I just like am not a night person. And my partner is the opposite. He's a night owl. He does that like second wave of energy at, you know, 9, 10 p.m. And I feel like since we've been together, we've been living together for four years, I really have adapted towards his style of, you know, going to sleep a bit later. Um, but when you were saying like that intuitive, it's like, you know what, like I, I know myself and I'm an early to bed, early to rise. But in the past four years, I haven't been as intuitive because when you live with someone, it's all about compromising, isn't it? Do you see that a lot in like couples? I do get asked this question quite a lot. And, and a bit like your sleep need, you do have a genetic predisposition to wake up and go to sleep at a certain time called your chronotypes. And that's what you're talking about with being an early bird or a night owl. And roughly speaking, we think about a quarter of the population are early birds, a quarter are night owls, and half of us are kind of somewhere in the middle. So you're always on a, a spectrum, but you can change those natural tendencies and, and I'm sure some of the things that you've done if you're feeling really weary at night but you want to stay up then switch on all the lights eat later at night uh, move your body those are the things which are going to delay your body clock and actually make you want to go to sleep later unfortunately a lot of people do those things inadvertently and it makes them feel less sleepy so they end up going to bed late but they mm. still have to wake up early um, but I think it's been very interesting over the last year or so in the context of lockdowns and lots of people actually not having to commute that perhaps their sleep patterns have changed and I think a lot of people are actually going to bed later and waking up later and it will be very interesting to see if there's a bit of a mass shift um, as many people return to work but we certainly have it in our control to to change those patterns I'm, I'm sure we'll come on more to talk about that. Mm, yeah definitely and I guess as well you know we I I think a lot quality versus quantity and like you said when you're you know if you have a bit of caffeine in the evening or you're still maybe you ate a little bit later is that then impacting the quality of your sleep because I know some people will have like an alcoholic drink and be like oh well I sleep much better but how can we kind of tell the difference between actually just like nodding off to actually that really good quality sleep that we need Great question. And it does come down to how you feel during the day. You know, do you wake up actually feeling refreshed when everything is, is singing internally? You know, you wake up before your alarm, you feel hungry at mealtimes mm. and you naturally feel sleepy before bed. Um, I'm glad you, you touched on alcohol there. There is still a bit of a misconception about alcohol in its acute uh, response it makes us relax. It can actually help with that feeling of, ah, oh, okay, I'm, I'm ready for bed. Mm. Um, but actually, when you metabolize that alcohol, the impact of the alcohol on your system is to behave like a stimulant. So it actually disrupts the quality of your sleep. It's likely to make you want to wake up multiple times through the night. So even if you're not aware that your sleep is being disrupted, you can still wake up feeling a bit more irritable, a bit more mm. forgetful. And it can actually shift your body clock back a bit as well. If you consume quite a lot of alcohol, uh, delays your clock, making it much harder to get out of bed. But 
And the opposite side, I was reading a, a paper recently, which actually showed that exercise, even though you don't notice necessarily that it improves your sleep, there are real objective benefits to better sleep quality when you exercise regularly. Oh, so that's so interesting. Improve your sleep quality, then yeah, lots of uh, regular exercise and, and lots of natural light during the day to kind of help your body clocks feel alert. That's amazing. Yeah. I love that. And for the exercise, did it matter? It was a time dependent. So did it matter if you got exercise in the morning or the evening or it was just moving your body in general? So moving your body and being generally fit and healthy, definitely good for sleep. Uh, if you want to feel more alert earlier in the day, so perhaps uh, for your partner, if he's trying to become more of an early bird, then early morning exercise is going to send a wake up call to your body clock. It starts the clock on the day, which means that you'll feel naturally sleepier a little bit earlier. But if you delay that exercise until, you know, after dinner, eight, nine o'clock at night, that does a couple of things. One, it delays the clock. So you feel less sleepy, which can be a problem for a lot of people, but mm -hmm. it raises your body temperature. And what you want in order to have a really restful night's sleep is for a natural dip in body temperature. Probably our, our core temperature falls by half a degree to a degree, uh, degree centigrade. And if that doesn't happen, sleep is actually lighter, more disrupted, which is why so many of us struggle to sleep in a heat wave. So um, and actually, it's, yeah, if you travel a lot, you might have found if you go and stay in hotels, obviously not in the COVID era, but always take, switch the heating off because hotels tend to keep the rooms a little bit too warm, I think. I can't stand sleeping with the heating on and my husband gets so annoyed at me but I, I will not have the radiator on in the room where I'm sleeping. I'm like, your body temperature is supposed to drop when you go to sleep. I'm the same. I always, I always take a hot shower before I go to bed um, because they say when you come out of the shower, your body temperature will actually drop um, and it, it creates more of a, you know, a perfect sleeping condition. Um, but I feel like we all have these like little things that we, we, we've read from science and we try to apply them mm. into life. Um, and we just pray that they actually work. But um, Sophie, I would love to hear um, your like sleep habits. I know that's a bit personal because I feel like um, on this podcast, we're all about like making sure that we talk about um, how we can help people and give tips. But like, what are your go-to things at the end of the night or in, in the morning or, you know, to help, you know, adjust your circadian rhythm? What it, would it be? But do you take hot showers in the night? Do you sleep with your heating on? Um, as the sleep yeah, evangelist I keep my bedroom cool and during the summer I would was trying to keep the window open um, I did used to have a boyfriend who snored so I was reliant on earplugs this caused some tension uh, I have to say we're not actually together anymore um, that, <laughs> <laughs> I, I am very aware that disrupted sleep is not very helpful for relationships um, but mostly I'm a really good sleeper but just like anybody else if there is a period of stress, you know, if your relationships are having problems or uh, work is particularly busy, then just like anyone else, I, I will wake up in the early hours of the morning. And I found that during the start of the pandemic, actually. I didn't feel as though I was stressed. If you'd asked me if I was worried about it, I probably would have said no. And yet the overall environment that I was in, this uncertainty and the lack of control I had and the unpredictability of the entire environment, so many people had this heightened level of stress. And you asked earlier about what can disrupt the quality of your sleep. And certainly a background of uncertainty and lack of control 
spikes your stress hormones and that directly interferes with your production of melatonin, the hormone that signals the body that it's dark and it's time to sleep. So when I think about preparing for bed, I guess the first thing that I do is actually I wake up at the same time every morning. That is the one anchoring habit that I pretty much stick to all the time. Very rarely will we'll have a lion at the weekend, maybe an hour. That's totally fine. But I try and get up around seven o'clock every day, try and get plenty of outdoor light during the day, get outside. Um, outdoor light is so much more powerful for alerting the body clock than artificial light. I would try and do a bit of exercise uh, during the day and I guess thinking about then winding down at night I will try and eat before 8pm um, because I know that the later I eat the more kind of the harder I find it to fall asleep um, and I love your hot shower hot bath um, I know that if I if I need to de-stress having a bath is the best um, because there's actually good research on this as well so you were you had the right hunch um, but there was a systematic review that looked at the impact of having a warm bath or shower probably an hour to an hour and a half before you actually want to fall asleep and it, that does a couple of things yes there is this impact of you get out of warm water that maybe your body temperature calls but also when you're actually sitting in a warm bath the impact of the warmth around your skin is that your body's natural cooling mechanism is to send more blood flow to the extremities as it tries to cool the core and so actually sitting in your warm bath your core body temperature drops a little bit plus you're not using your phone usually mm, yeah which I think is a really important part of winding down. So I guess the final thing I would say is that I do make an effort now to keep my phone charged outside the bedroom. Um, I actually still have an alarm on my phone, but it means I have to get up and go into another oh, room. I love that. Turn my phone off, uh, which helps me get up in the morning. Yeah. What's, um, but, sorry, you go. No, so it's so interesting. We just recorded a podcast on, on stress management and we spoke to a stress expert. And she suggested um, keeping your phone in airplane mode and using like a different alarm clock or something just so the first thing you don't touch is your phone. But it's interesting that you have that same, you know, kind of suggestion, but you just keep your phone in a different room. It's just so tempting. If you wake mm. up during the night, and I know lots of people do this, you kind of, if it's your only clock and you want to check the time, then, oh, you see that there's a notification for this or that. So I think it's just safest to keep it out of the bedroom. Definitely. I actually used to always check what time it was when I woke up in the night, just out of curiosity. And now I don't think I have done in over a year. Um, but what I was going to say is I have a blue screen, like an anti-blue light screen over my phone. Do they work? Is, say if I was looking at my phone just before I fell asleep, is that kind of... Quite interesting research around blue light. Um, there's a lot of research saying that the more screen time you have, Typically, the less sleep you get. Mm -hmm. Part of that is the effect of displacement. So what I mean by that is you're not sleeping because you're on social media or mm -hmm. on your phone. Um, we know that the receptors in the eye, which are particularly important for regulating your body clock, are especially sensitive to blue light. So there has been this idea that actually the blue light from phones, because they emit a sort of higher intensity of blue light, can be quite damaging for your sleep. Actually, 
the jury is out a little bit in terms of it's probably the intensity of light that is more important. So if you're using your phone, but you're in a really bright room, it's probably the light from the room that is disrupting your sleep more than the light from your phone. But to be on the safe side, absolutely using a blue light filter or I've worked with people who use blue light blockers in the evening, which Mm -hmm. actually blocks out not just the light from screens, but also uh, the light from from the environment. So, yeah, whatever you can do to just dim the light a little bit before bed can really help with winding down. Yeah, I just got new glasses and I had them put a blue light filter on the glasses for work as well. So that that's definitely good. And then um, I don't know if you've heard of this before, but um, I installed this um, thing on my laptop, a plugin of some sort called Flux. Yeah. And what it does is, they, yeah, yes, yes. You um, put in your location and I guess it kind of sees the uh, sunrise and sunset and it will match the external kind of daylight to your computer. So I'll notice, especially in the winter time around 3 p.m., my screen starts to become more yellow um and sometimes it's fine and then sometimes I'll be like editing a picture and I'm like why is this so distorted and then I have to turn off the plugin because it really does kind of try and mimic that natural sunlight so you decrease that blue light I've just written flux down on my notes (laughs) it's a free app and it is matched to sunsets and I think one of the real values of it is that if you have it sort of sitting around in the background of your computer and you find you're working late and suddenly the screen is really orange like it's a really good reminder that you know what you should be switching off Uh, I definitely used to be someone who would who would work late to get stuff done horribly disorganized Uh, and then I really realized over time that I was so much less productive the following day that it just wasn't worth it and for me I'm more of an early bird I'm better off going to bed waking up maybe a little bit early and, and, and cracking on the following day one thing I would say about those blue light um, filters is though try not to wear them in the mornings because actually in the mornings is when you want lots of that natural light um, unless you're a shift worker or something in which case dark glasses in the morning before you go to sleep yeah um so why is sleep so important? Like we're speaking about all these reasons of, you know, how to get us to sleep and what we can be doing for better quality sleep. Why, why do we need such a good night's sleep consistently? That is a tough question to answer because... It- Sorry, there's probably so many reasons. <laughs> it's one of these things where every aspect of your health and well-being is dependent on natural cycles of both activity and arousal during the day and recovery at night Mm. so we know that all of our internal systems are controlled by these body clocks I've mentioned that word quite a lot of times Mm. it's also called your circadian rhythm and there's been a lot of science over the last 10-20 years which has unpicked the fact that we don't just have a master clock in our brain that tells us what time of day it is. We have clocks, probably about 37 trillion of them all around the body. And when we have a regular sleep-wake pattern where we allow the body to renew itself, repair damage, um, restore energy overnight, then during the day, everything works really efficiently together. You know, our metabolism, our appetite, our immune function, uh, pretty much any aspect of your health that you can think of is linked to these circadian rhythms. So sleep disruption is not just harmful because of the lack of sleep, which obviously makes you feel a bit 
bit tired, a bit irritable, um, doesn't allow your brain to consolidate and enhance memory so that you're freed up to learn the next day. But it also disrupts this internal synchronization of every part of the body. So you are getting a double whammy benefit when you have a good night's sleep. It just means that when you wake up, everything's in sync. You feel more energized, mm. you're alert. Um, so emotionally, physically, socially, just everything feels easier. Um, yeah, this is kind of, you know, pick a I'm, topic. Yeah, no, the, find you some research. <laughs> I know there's so much research. But I remember reading something about, I don't know if I'm using the right terminology here, but killer cells that we have um, and how they can be impacted by even just one or two less hours sleep. Do you know, do you know anything about that? Yes, absolutely. So um, killer cells are the body's foot soldiers against infection. So mm -hmm. there's been a lot of interest, obviously, in immune function recently in the light of the pandemic. And we know that killer cells are more active at night. Um, and in fact, immune function itself is really tightly linked to sleep. So if you have an infection, you might have noticed, you know, you start to feel more groggy and sleepy and often the response to getting an infection is that you sleep more because the body is crying out for this very restorative uh, process where the immune system can really go to work. Um, so disrupting or reducing sleep can make you more vulnerable to infection. So there was one study, for example, that looked at the common cold virus. And it was a really good study because they took healthy people, they measured their sleep using an actograph watch, so an objective measure of how many hours sleep that they'd got in a week preceding the experiment. And then they in inoculated them with the common cold virus and they followed them up to see who, how many people got a cold. And it turned out that those people who were getting fewer than five hours sleep were more than four times more likely to develop a cold than wow. those who got seven hours or more. So this sort of seven hour seemed to be really protective mm. in terms of our immune defenses. And then there's other studies which have also looked at response to vaccine. And I know that there's research ongoing at the moment to look at what's the impact of how much sleep people get on their response to the coronavirus vaccine. Now, we know that actually the COVID vaccine is super effective. So mm -hmm. it might not be that it, it makes you more robust in the short term, but perhaps in the long term, having good sleep patterns might well help to maintain uh, your levels of, of coronavirus antibodies. So that would be really interesting to look at that research yeah absolutely that's incredible um i i find the the link between immunity um sleep and then you add in the the third layer of the gut and i feel like that kind of like trifecta i find incredibly interesting um i feel like that could be a whole different topic yeah. <laughs> of um conversation we can save for potentially another episode but going back to um the sleep you mentioned something before of like uninterrupted night sleep and the importance of uninterrupted night sleep. What happens if we wake up frequently? Um, I guess, Sophie, this also be like, you can apply this to your baby, but I'm applying it to the fact that I always wake up to pee in the middle of the well, night. Well, at the moment, like he's kicking my bladder like crazy. So I'm also up at like four times a night weeing. <laughs> Yeah, I find um, one way I wind down at the end of the evening is like I love a cup of herbal tea at night. 
Um, I find it really relaxing. I find it really soothing, but it does mean I often wake up in the middle of the night to use the toilet. Is that something that um, having that interact? And I always fall asleep right right away. I never struggle, but I know that's one of those things that I say I never struggle, but what is the impact on quality versus quantity? Um, so can you touch on that a bit? Sure. I guess don't panic is the first thing. You know, if you're waking up during the night, this is totally natural. And the good news is that we sleep in cycles. You know, sleep is not just one thing. You've probably heard it comes in stages and uh, sleep scientists don't have a lot of imagination. So these stages are called stage one, stage two, stage three and REM or rapid eye movement sleep. So we go through a cycle of all four of these stages of sleep about every 90 minutes. So very often in between these cycles, there's a brief period of wakefulness. So sometimes if there's some pressure, you've got pain or you've got noise, then you'll sort of fully wake up. But very often we just turn over and we forget about it. We don't realize that we've woken up at all. But a lot of people who are suffering from a sleep problem, they might be experiencing insomnia where they're either struggling to get to sleep or they wake up in the middle of the night and they can't fall back to sleep just the fact that they've woken up is a source of anxiety and they can actually feel quite panicked about the fact that they're awake at night. So one of the first things to do is to say, look, this doesn't mean that there's anything wrong. It could just be a very natural break between sleep cycles. Uh, if it's bothering you, you know, if you're waking up multiple times through the night to go to the toilet, then that might be something that is a worth just keeping an eye on your fluid intake before you go to bed. So, so track it just for a week and see whether, oh, actually, okay, what about if I had half a cup of herbal tea? Would that make a difference? And just do a little bit of an experiment. But if that doesn't seem to be helping, then then absolutely speaking to your doctor if it's, if it's starting to really bother you. But I would have thought that waking up once uh, during the night is really not anything to worry about. The, the real problems come when sleep is very fragmented or very reduced for a long period of time. So one or two poor night's sleep, not really something to worry about. We're, our bodies are so robust, we're really good at getting better quality recovery sleep when we haven't slept well. It's quite normal to see a little sort of pattern of uh, a few nights of not so good sleep and then perhaps a few better nights sleep. So, so don't feel um, worried if sometimes you, you have a poor night. But the the real issue is when you compress sleep for a long time, you know, weeks at a time, and you're not um, able to, to catch back on what we call a sleep debt that you build up mm. after a long period with, with not very much sleep. Out of interest, just to go back to what you said about some people kind of catching up on sleep or lying in at the weekend, we, like you said, you can't, you can't catch up on sleep. There's no such thing, unfortunately. And I am literally, like I said, so routine. I'll still get up at naturally at six on the weekends. Um, but my husband likes to lie in because he's like, I need to catch up on my sleep because I've had a really hard week and I've been really busy. Is there any harm in doing that? It's a tough one because if you're constantly sleep deprived, that is not good news. Mm. There is also a negative impact of constantly shifting your body clock. So what tends to happen if you have a really long line at the weekend, and by that I mean sort of three or four hours. Oh, okay. Then you can only adjust your body clock by about 24 hours. Uh, sorry, by about an hour every 24 hours. Okay. For some people, it's actually a little bit less. It's a bit slower than that. So 
quite recently we had the clock change and mm. we lost an hour from the external world. So suddenly there was a 23 hour day instead of a 24 hour day. And for a lot of people, just that transition is quite difficult um, because our body clocks actually naturally run at slightly over 24 hours. So it's quite hard for us to readjust. So we know that on that Monday morning after the clock change, statistically there's a spike in road accidents and accidents at work cyber loafing so uh people checking entertainment related websites while they're at work a real kind of lack of focus so if that happens just because of one hour of missed sleep and the um shift in the body clock then you can imagine that for people who are constantly having a line at the weekend and then having to wake up early in the morning on monday morning it's as if their body clock has had to fly in from tel aviv every monday morning and everything feels a bit out of kilter uh, so over time people who have an extended amount of this what we call social jet lag so you're effectively inflicting jet lag on yourself because of you know your sort of social choices and your routines they tend to have higher rates of weight gain diabetes heart disease um, so it's just something to be very aware of yes capture but if you can reduce the difference between weekday and weekend in the long term that's likely to be better for your health I just find this so interesting. Me too. It's mind-blowing. Yeah. Because basically what you're saying is that if someone has like a lion on the weekend, it then takes them to maybe Wednesday or Thursday to kind of readjust to what they're, what they should be doing. And then they're just re, re unadjusting over the weekend. And it's this cycle and this undue stress on the body um, that builds up over time, as you said, and can cause adverse health effects or adverse risk of developing health effects, I should say, um, more it's sort of it's a risk and I know that there are going to be people listening to this who do shift work and they go well Mm. I I don't choose this this is um, something that I have to do and what I would say about shift work is yes you are absolutely absolutely right Barry that it's about risk and if you know that your shift patterns are actually putting a bit more stress on the body it just makes it so much more important that you look after your health (laughs) (laughs) what you can control is what you eat um, and whether you exercise and not smoking and taking time out to relax or meditate you know just if you're a shift worker and you know you're putting your body clock through this additional stress just really try and look after yourself in in other ways and it will balance out yeah and we always say that like um you know wellness there's so many pieces to the puzzle and you can't just rely on one thing and we always say like you can't eat yourself healthy like that doesn't exist it it is a combination of all of these kind of factors that work in tangent and if you know that maybe one is a bit more out of your control like you're saying you can put prioritize the others and really put a bit of extra focus on that and I absolutely love that because you know we kind of say the same thing um to shift gears a bit there's something that I wanted to talk about that um, relating it a bit to kind of like nutrition in a way is that um, I've heard of this phenomenon and I haven't read any research about it, more just like word of mouth between health professionals kind of thing, but about um, people becoming quite disordered with their obsessive sleep habits. And, you know, almost like the idea of orthorexia where people become obsessed with clean eating. Um, and we're seeing, or again, I haven't read the research. This is more just like conversations I've had with other nutritionists and dietitians 
Um, but then this rise of like obsessing over the perfect night's sleep and missing out on certain social things and not, you know, not being in a certain room because there's blue light emitting and things like that. Have you actually seen this? Yes, I have. And I'm smiling to myself because I've also had my own little experience of... I, was uh, say, I overly, think I've dabbled in <laughs> <laughs> ...about my sleep. So um, I worked one-to-one with somebody uh, who was really well motivated to improve their sleep. And uh, when I met him, he turned up with an aura ring and he said, look, I've got, I've tracked my sleep for the last two years. So you can see exactly wow. what's going on. And um, it was fascinating. I thought, wow, this is great, this data. You know, if I had this data on me, I can experiment with different things and I can share the data with other people so immediately I'm thinking that I'm going to uh, make my sleep data publicly available so I ordered my aura ring um, because I thought this is going to be a great tool I'm also doing a a crazy row this summer and I thought that actually tracking my sleep while I'm doing this two hours on two hours off would be interesting I say the first night that I had the aura ring my sleep was terrible and uh, I'm lying there thinking, oh, gosh, I can't share this data with anyone. This this is embarrassing. <laughs> and the following few nights, it just got worse. And after about four days, I had to take it off and put it in a drawer. Um, and three weeks later, I did put it back on. And But I shared this experience with, with the guy who was having really poor sleep. And I said, look, I'm going to be honest with you. I think that closely tracking your sleep to this extent is unhelpful because you're immediately seeing the next day that it says, oh, you had disrupted sleep. Take it easy today. Well, you can't always take it easy. So that causes anxiety. So it's not just the the tracking of sleep. It's also some of the feedback that perhaps you get that maybe your sleep wasn't great that day, which actually in his case was preventing him going to do exercise because he was being told, you know, you be careful. You haven't had a great night's sleep. So I'm going to come back to the intuitive sleeping idea and that the most important measure of how well you're sleeping is how you feel during the day. And certainly in my case, in his case, just taking a break from the tracking and thinking about, okay, I'm going to go to sleep when I'm sleepy and uh, I'm going to get out of bed, you know, when I wake up in the morning, I'm just going to go out my day was quite quite helpful so we know that there's a term called orthosomnia which is this yeah. insomnia that seems to have been induced by an obsession with tracking to the extent that people wake up in the middle of the night and check their tracker to see just how bad their sleep has been um, now i'm actually a big fan of being able to track your habits i think it's really helpful to have a set of goals that you set yourself but I try and encourage people to track the behaviors which contribute to sleep so for example the, the time that you wake up and whether you're doing exercise and perhaps your last meal time but not obsess quite so much about exactly the right the number of hours of sleep that you've got or the amount of time that you were awake at night because actually that might make you focus on the wrong things. So interesting it's like it's kind of like the same with what we advise nutritionally is don't track it stresses you out more than it needs to yeah and there will be people who are listening to this going oh my god I love my sleep tracker I don't want to get rid of it look if it's not messing with your sleep Mm. and making you feel confident then great but if you're thinking oh actually that could be me then just again do an experiment don't use it for a couple of weeks uh I, I told my my client that he could have it back when he didn't care what it said anymore Mm. And then it just becomes a sort of added extra, which might be interesting. 
Yeah, that idea. Sorry, I was going to say that idea of like taking back the power, um, which again is like very similar to nutrition. Some people find it really helpful to track. And then it's when that tracking device has too much power and it guides your emotions and your decisions that um, it becomes unhelpful and that we need to delete the apps. But again, some people find having access to data. Some people are super logical and some people like data. So it's being a bit intuitive and knowing what works for you and what doesn't. And just quickly going back to something Barry just touched on about social events and, you know, cause I have been sat up a lot later than I'd feel like I should be. It hasn't deterred me from socializing, but I'm paranoid. I'm like, Oh my God, like I'm losing hours of sleep here. How is this going to affect my health and you know, my functioning the next day? Is there like, I mean, I guess one, a one-off isn't going to make a difference, right? I'm hoping that's what you're going to say. <laughs> no, I would say don't tr- really try not to sacrifice things that you're going to enjoy because you're mm. worried about not sleeping well. When you are stuck in that cycle of having had a poor night's sleep and then starting to worry about the subsequent night, the impact of lack of sleep on your brain, on the part that actually switches on your fight or flight stress response, is that that stress response mechanism, the amygdala becomes more sensitive. Mm. So small things can make you disproportionately anxious. And if you allow that to take over, what we know is that actually people tend to withdraw socially when they haven't slept well. And it's really a response to the sleep loss. And so it's not uncommon to people to see people who are, are stuck in a cycle where they're actually feeling quite lonely, but they're afraid to go out and they're afraid to engage in things that might delay their bedtime. Interestingly enough, one of the most effective therapies for helping somebody sleep through the night is the idea of sleep restriction or sleep compression. And this uses one of the systems which controls sleep. So essentially I think about three systems which control sleep. We've talked a lot about the body clock, but the second system is called sleep pressure or sleep drive. And this is something that just builds up gradually. The more hours that you've been awake, the more of this sleep pressure builds up. And it's- Is that like the adenosine that rises? Yes, drowsy inducing adenosine, four marks very. Um, So the more adenosine that you've got, the more sleep you feel. So what you can actually do is actually, if you delay bedtime by half an hour, for example, you have a greater accumulation of adenosine and it might just help you with this extra sleep pressure to start sleeping through the night. And some people can be a bit more aggressive about that and compress sleep a lot. But this particular technique is helpful when you wake up multiple times through the night and you're not driving or operating heavy machinery because actually obviously if we are compressing your sleep window it means you are for a period of time going to get a bit less sleep but if that means that it retrains you to sleep in a more consistent consolidated way overall that's beneficial so when you're feeling anxious about not getting enough sleep I would actually say just actually just try and relax and go out when when you feel sleepy and if you feel really sleepy too tired to socialize okay that is that is time when you're pregnant and actually so many things are going to be wearing you out you know don't feel bad about having a more of a sleep if you're tired but if you're actually just feeling anxious that you might get tired later Mm. 
say, go socialize, you know, enjoy it, make the most of it and just make sure that you've got a little bit more time to recover the following day if you need it. Awesome. And something else, a few more things just wanted to touch on. I know we're uh, conscious of time, but um, what about that? I'm not a napper. I, I hate napping. I just, it doesn't do anything for me. It makes me feel more lazy. Um, but for anyone that does nap or feel like they need a nap, is it beneficial? Can it work for some people? Definitely can be beneficial. Pros and cons, like uh, anything, I guess. What Napping can be great if and actually, Sophie, it'd be really interesting to see whether you become a napper. Uh, mm, as a new probably. <laughs> if you're a shift worker or a new parent, or for some reason you haven't been able to have the opportunity for a good night's sleep at night, and you're really struggling to keep your eyes open. We all tend to get this natural lull in our alertness after lunch between about one and three, different time for, for different people. But that is a natural time when our energy levels start to dip. And a quick nap of about 15 to 20 minutes around that time can really help to improve mood. It can also consolidate learning and free us up to learn more stuff. So really quite important for, for memory. But you're also right that not everybody is a napper. There'll be some people who really struggle to sleep during the mm. day. And arguably, if you find it very easy to sleep for long periods during the day, it's probably a sign that you're not sleeping enough mm. at night. So it's something that might be worth experimenting with. I know that since a lot of people have been working more at home, I feel like napping has actually probably increased in popularity. Uh, I, I would say if you're having any difficulty sleeping through the night at all it's probably a bad idea to nap and the reason that I say that is because you're reducing that sleep pressure that sleep hunger so mm. this is particularly I find sometimes with with parents they're very very tired and they put their kids to bed and maybe they just just lie down gently uh, next to their child and then a moment later it's 40 minutes later and they've had a bit of a, a bit of a nap <laughs> And then two hours later, when it's time for them to go to bed, they really struggle to sleep because they've used up that sleep pressure. Yeah. So if you're going to nap, I would recommend that it's a bit earlier in the day so that you still build up more sleep pressure later on. And keep it short to about 15 or 20 minutes if you want to avoid getting into deep sleep. So mm. stages one and two are the lighter phases of sleep. But after about 30 minutes, 40 minutes, we'll get into deep sleep. And if you wake up from a deep sleep nap, you can suffer from something called sleep inertia, where you're very groggy and it can take a full hour to wake up properly afterwards. So the timing of naps is also important. You know what I never thought about just quickly is that I am like notorious for falling asleep on the couch at night. Like if, if a movie's on and I'm sitting, I'm out. And it always really pisses off my boyfriend because we had to rewatch the ending of every movie twice. Um, but then I wake up and then I go to bed, but I've never like quantified that as like a nap. And then he's always like, oh, I'll take the dog out because like you're so tired. We usually go together, et cetera. And then when I, he comes back, I'm like still awake. And he's like, why are you still awake? Like you didn't come out to walk the dog with me because you said you were sleepy, but now you're still up. And now I'm thinking to myself, well, I just had a nap and now I got to build up my sleep pressure again. That's why I can't go back to sleep. This is potentially a classic uh, issue of someone who's trying to get their body clock to sync with their partner. Because, you know, you were yes. talking earlier. <laughs> and what I often say to couples is, hey, 
maybe this is a good thing. Maybe, you know, you would get, you would relish a bit of alone time in the morning. He might relish a little bit of alone time in the evening. Um, but it sounds like you have reached a compromise. But maybe uh, if you're feeling really sleepy, it might be time to go to bed. I'm going to have some listen to this episode. Yeah. <laughs> Um, and one more thing I'm just really desperate to touch on before, I, before we let you go um, is sleep deprived mums, how we recover, how we manage it, what impact can it have on us? Because like I said, it's something I'm really nervous about when I have the baby. <laughs> okay, so I, I did touch on this earlier that we have evolved to uh, create very needy human beings. You know, a, a newborn probably not gonna sleep for much more than two hours at a time, mm. which means that as a mum, you're not gonna sleep for much more than two hours at a time. Yeah. Uh, and yet we have evolved to be able to bring up multiple children. <laughs> and statistically, I did check this because I was a bit worried. Um, <laughs> mums and dads, parents, don't actually live for any less time than non-parents. Wonderful. <laughs> any really <laughs> severe, lasting impacts from having children. Certainly we can be quite resilient to these insults on our sleep patterns. Uh, it may be that as we get older, older we become a little bit less elastic in our response to sleep loss so lots of the research that you'll see which looks at the impacts on things like heart disease and diabetes and mortality tends to be conducted in slightly older people um, that doesn't mean to say that you're not going to feel some next day effects and I think probably some of the most important to think about are those impacts on your emotional health Mm. and how much of postpartum depression is actually associated with sleep loss we certainly know that sleep deprivation is linked to increased anxiety depression um, so really really important to protect as much sleep as you can but also to to keep an eye on things and uh, if someone offers you help to accept it and I know I will <laughs> sounds obvious at this point but I think there can be a feeling that you know you've got to cope on your own uh, if you're lucky enough to have a partner and you can take turns mm. then you know do that as much as possible we certainly know that uh, if both members of a couple are sleep deprived they are more likely to argue and mm. more likely to be negative and accusatory in their problem solving approach um, so the more you can take turns a little bit spread the load I know it's very difficult particularly for people with multiple children at home you know you can't just have a nap when the baby naps which is mm. usually the advice but whenever you can nap do particularly the first three months I mean it's going to be really tough babies are not born with circadian rhythms so it, they all they've got is sleep pressure and they build up that sleep pressure after about two hours so they're in this kind of um very uh, crazy cycle and so you don't often see parents for the first three months you know they, they're pretty focused on, on looking after the baby but they get through it and I think talking to as many mums as you can who have come through it and have yeah. on the other side <laughs> I think hopefully will give you confidence that okay. you can cope your body your brain has been built to cope with this you know that's what we've evolved for so try not to worry I know it sounds tough so, so there's no just to confirm and um, there's no kind of like long-term health effects not that not that I've seen not in okay, the research no, no. <laughs> I think you know silly things like 
just be very careful when you're driving a car. If you've yeah. really had uh, several nights of bad sleep, just be very aware that sleep deprivation has a really serious impact on our alertness. So we know that even after uh, 19 hours awake, so if you woke up at six o'clock in the morning and you drove home at 1 a.m., your ability to drive a car is similar to someone who's actually over the legal limit um, for alcohol. So it, it has real effects. Mm-hmm. So if you're feeling a little bit forgetful and you're struggling to focus, go easy on yourself and, and protect your health. Amazing. Well, thank you so much. I could literally sit here for hours and just grill you. <laughs> it is just so fascinating. Um, and it's, it's amazing. I know this episode is going to be re-listened a million times by myself, everyone I can convince to listen to, and I yeah. hope the listeners as well find it um, super helpful. Thank you so much for taking the time to chat with us. Oh, Where Georgia, there will be more, I'm sure, that we didn't cover. So, you know, we'll hopefully sometime in the future. We- oh, we would love to have you back. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> A hundred percent. But can you tell everyone where they can find you if they want to find out more about what you do? Sure, that would be great. I'm uh, Dr. Sophie Bostock on Instagram or Twitter and I have a website, uh, thesleepscientist.com. And if anyone's interested, I will be rowing around Great Britain this summer doing my very own sleep deprivation experiment in a British Heart Foundation. So I will be posting about that on social media and it would be great to uh, have people follow along. Yeah, absolutely. We'll put all that information in the show notes so people can find you nice and easily. And I will definitely be following along on my sleep deprived day is this what you're up to in the summer <laughs> when, when are you due so. uh, july beginning of july oh exciting yes i'll be uh somewhere around scotland then i think amazing oh well um, it's been an absolute pleasure to meet you i really hope we can have you back in the near future as well and just thank you so much for answering all our questions have a lovely day you too bye Thank you guys so much for listening to this week's episode of the Forking Wellness Podcast. As always, please rate, review, and subscribe. And share with your friends if you love this episode. It really does help us get seen in the chart. You can now also order our Forking Wellness book anywhere books are sold. Order it on Amazon Prime for next day delivery. And Barnes & Noble in America. And if you love the book, we would so appreciate a review on Amazon. We absolutely love hearing your feedback and we really hope you enjoy it. We'll speak to you guys next week. Bye.